Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. It's 17.30 GMT. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. I am Umaru Sanda Amadu. Tonight, I'm here with... Nashika Caesar. And coming up over the next 90 minutes. We've arrested the operators, uh, and then we are sending their, their supervisor, and we are sending the excavator to the police station. Chaos at the Nyinam police station in the eastern region following the arrest of two illegal miners that appears to be... This quiet or that police station will be going there to get the latest by our correspondent who is on the ground for us, Neoni Amate Kanaku. Also coming up on the publication of audit reports before Parliament finishes its work, Attorney General Godfrey Yeboadami finds it prejudicial and advises the report on COVID-19 expenditure audit be pulled down. Does he have a case? We have that interrogation happening shortly here on Eyewitness News. And later on Eyewitness News... What is happening in Boku today is not about chieftaincy. It's criminality. It's criminals who are operating. And the members of the armed forces to deal with them as pure criminals. The Minister of Defence, Dominic Nitiwo's verdict on the situation in the troubled town of Boko in the Upper East region. We'll be hearing in full what exactly he's been telling the people's representatives in Parliament. This is Eyewitness News broadcasting from Adabraka in Accra. We also have business coming up later and Nashika has a headline. A currency analyst, Courage Boti, predicts uncertainties for the city in 2023 despite recent ratings by Fitch Solutions. So that's in 15 minutes here on Eyewitness News. We also have Point Blank coming up. We also have an eye on the situation with the NDC in the Ashanti region where a youth organizer in the Swami constituency has been arrested by the police for comments that he made, which comments have since gone viral. We are live across Ghana. In Ashanti region, we are on Focus 94.3 FM in Kumasi, Orange 107.9 FM also in Kumasi. In the Ahafo region, we are on Hames Radio, 106.5 FM in Gorso. Bono region, we are on Greener, 95.9 FM in Sunyani. In the Volta region, we are on Revival, 99.3 FM in Tajavu. Cool, 103.5 FM in Ho. If you go to the northern region, we are on Radio Bimbila, 91.9 FM. In Upper East, we are on Tanga, 93.7 FM in Bolga. Upper West, we are on Tungsung, 97.3 FM in Wa. And Jirapa Radio, on 96.1 in Jirapa. If you go to the western region, we are on Beach 105.5 FM, Sky Power 93.5 FM, and also other partner stations, all in Takradi, the regional capital. Do let us know what you make of the stories we are bringing you on WhatsApp. is 0549-986-996. We are live on Facebook. You can watch us and see what's happening in the studio as well as listen to the big stories of the day and drop your comments too so the world gets to hear what your views are on the running issues of the day. Eyewitness News is officially airborne from number 11, Dr. Martin Loob, in Adabaka, in Accra. Let's start off with illegal mining, Galamsi situation in Enyinem, in the eastern region. And uh, there is chaos there. Nashika has a story for us. 
There was chaos at the Nyinem police station following the arrest of two illegal miners by the Ghana National Association of Small-Scale Miners in the Tiwa East District of the Eastern Region. The two, an excavator operator and the site supervisor, together with others, had diverted the flow of the Birm River and were busily mining few meters behind the Eminem police station. The national executives and task force of the association who matched the suspect to the police station to hand them over to the police were met with fierce resistance from other illegal miners in the community who had massed up at the Eminem police station. Godwin Ama is the secretary of the Ghana National Association of small-scale miners. The Brim River is just here. And they've mined and all the topsoil, they've taken it into the river. Now you can see how the place is muddy, uh, siltation, and you also have the turbidity levels going to rise. How can Ghana Water Company work with such uh, polluted water to produce water for the indigenous of Enginem and its environs? It's very, very sad. The tax force is doing its best. We found out from them, they said they are youth from this community and they are doing youth work. If you watch no small-scale miner, the Minerals Commission will not give anyone license closer to the river like this. So we've arrested the operators uh, and then we are sending their, their supervisor and we are sending the excavator to the police station. If they have anything, Minerals Commission will go and investigate and say to whether what they are doing is right or not. Godwin Ama is the secretary of the Ghana National Association of Small-Scale Miners. There's Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka in Accra. We are also around the globe on citynewsroom.com. Our correspondent, Neoni Amate Kanaku, has been following that particular story, and uh, he has been sending us videos of what is happening and uh, let me just play some of the videos for you and the chaos there a bit ugly and this is happening at a police station listen so let me go to neil niamate kanaku now neil paint the picture for us what's the genesis of this Thank you very much, Sandra. So uh, last year, the Ghana National Association of Small-Scale Miners launched an audacious uh, move to ensure that some rivers in the eastern region, specifically the Brim River, is cleared uh, uh, from activities of the miners. So uh, today they decided to move to some sites to check if they are making gains on that ground. So we first visited the Osino area where we realized that some people were engaging in illegal mining just five meters away from the main Accra Kumasi Highway. So this became a cause of concern for them. Uh, after that, we moved to the district uh, executive's office to brief him on what uh, is happening there, where he also indicated that he's aware of the development and has also made uh, necessary follow-ups to the NNM uh, police station. From then, the, the team moved to uh, the NNM area, uh, where under the bridge, uh, they wanted to take sample of uh, the Prim River, which was flowing uh, just close to uh, the police station. So uh, when the team got there, they heard that an excavator was on site. You could you could hear the sound uh, from uh, under the bridge. So they decided to then move in to check what was happening. 
lo and behold, when we got there, we realized that some people were busily mining. Now, they had diverted the course and then the flow of the Brim River uh, in that area. And where they were engaging uh, on the, uh, the the mining was very close. Uh, if you are at the site, you can even see the Anyanam police station. Uh, that is uh, when you're on a higher ground. Uh, so they then decided uh, to apprehend the excavator operator and then the supervisor at the site. So they, they moved them and then they marched them to uh, the police station. Now, uh, before they team got to the police station, you could see that a number of residents and uh, miners in the area, local miners in the area, had already gathered uh, in that area. Uh, a gentleman then, uh, who is also known in the area, uh, a popular miner in the area, also uh, came uh, uh, from nowhere and then uh, just in some few seconds had some altercations uh, with uh, the uh, members of the tax force that is the Ghana National Association uh, of uh, Small Scale Miners Tax Force. So it became a heated uh, argument, uh, which even ended up in some uh, fisticuffs in, in that regard. So in the heat of the moment, uh, people started massing uh, up uh, in the area. The, the district commander, uh, that is DSP Mahama, then had to uh, come in to calm Tempest, uh, and then they, they managed to move with these uh, two suspects, including uh, the, the new guy who, who came to cause the, the confusion. They, they had to move them uh, behind bars. Uh, so uh, within uh, an hour, close to an hour, we were stuck at uh, that place, uh, making sure that the necessary arrangements are all being done for uh, these uh, people who were arrested uh, to be processed. So currently, uh, as we speak now, that come in the area, the team moved to Nkoko to also uh, engage the district chief executive, the municipal chief executive for the area, and then met uh, association members in uh, the uh, Nkoko area. So as we speak, that is currently what happened uh, today uh, during the tour of the uh, Ghana National Association of Small-Scale Miners in the Eastern Region. So the video you sent us where we saw uh, many people massing up at the police station, these have all dispersed? Yes, yes. Uh, it took the intervention of the, the district uh, commander. Uh, some uh, youth in the area whom I spoke to indicated that uh, they respect their commander. That's why uh, they've given room for uh, him uh, to have uh, to operate in the area. Uh, uh, other than that, they were even going to stop us and prevent us from moving uh, from that area, uh, Sandra. I see. Now, which means that the police did not use force. Uh, they've had to engage in negotiations and money to get out of the, the situation. Yes, yes. That was uh, basically what actually uh, happened uh, after the uh, confrontation from uh, the, the known legal minor in the area. Uh, uh, so the, the, most of them indicated uh, uh, to me that uh, if had not been the, the commander uh, whom they would want to listen to, it would be very difficult for all of us, even the journalists, to even move uh, from that particular area because of what happened. Interesting. Now, the Small Scale Miners Association, it will continue with the work it plans? Is, 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 that, the, is that the idea? What, yes, what, what's uh, going to happen next? Yeah, so this didn't even uh, deter the association, members of the association from uh, continuing what uh, they had to do. Uh, after After... Uh, the, the tempests were calmed. We then moved from that area. Then we we, we headed for Nkoko, where the association uh, met uh, the, the municipal chief executive for the area to brief him on uh, the plans and activities uh, in his district, in his municipality, and then moved to also engage uh, its members, uh, telling them uh, 
on the need for them to uh, uh, register their excavators so that uh, they are not seized. So uh, tomorrow, the association plans to embark on another uh, field trip uh, to inspect uh, the Chibi water treatment plant. Uh, uh, last year, I found a story indicating uh, the, the closure of that plant, but since the association moved, uh, took some office uh, task force to that area, uh, the, the work uh, has gone far for the plant, the Chibi treatment water plant, to uh, start uh, uh, operations. So they will want to go there to inspect the extent of work uh, by the task force in that area, and then move to Aquatia to also check uh, uh, what the task force is also doing in Aquatia. Thank you so much. Neolia Mate Kanaku is our correspondent in the eastern region. Let's go to Godwin Amma. He's secretary to the Ghana National Association of Small-Scale Miners. Mr. Amma, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. This campaign of yours, uh, give us the, the, the reasoning behind it, and then summarize for us what your next plan is. Okay, thank you, and good evening to listeners. Um, the association, working with the Ministry of Lands and Natural Resources and Minerals Commission, um, we, we as an association, adopted the BRIM River to free it from illegal dredging and also uh, illegal miners or miners washing directly into the river body. And the purpose was to ensure that communities along the BRIM River, where the Ghana Water Company pumps water from, we reduce the turbidity level to the minimum so that the communities can get water and also the miners can get water to operate. Um, uh, since we started the job, uh, the PRO for the Eastern Region for Ghana Water Company even commended us that what we've done, we've been able to reduce the stability levels from over 1,000 to 94. So now indigenous are getting water. So we've been able to manage and clear all these illegal miners from the river and also those who are working closely that very so our three-day tour is to do the evaluation and work closely also with the Ministry of Lands and Natural Resources and Minerals Commission and then the Ghana Armed Forces to ensure that this operation is sustained. We moved from there, Ustino, then we got to, as he said, um, and that's where we had a little bit of um, tension between some of the community folks who were working, working under the uh, main bridge. You know, there's a bridge that's uh, from the... That, that connects Accra and Kuman. And these guys are out. Okay? And the situation is not good. So we stopped with this. And that brought this issue. Some of them are Ms. Ama, your network is not that good. Can you reestablish that point after repositioning yourself? No, try again. Hello? Yes, better now. Better, thank you. Yes. I said, so under the bridge... Uh, they, they, they worked um, closely uh, to uh, under the bridge, you know, so close to the bridge, the bridge that's on the brim that connects Kumasi Accra Highway. So we have to stop them and they took them to them. That is where we met some of these illegal miners who claim they are working as youth, the community, and all that. So we told them you cannot do anything that brings up to the state. Where they are mining, there is a red zone, and no one is going to allow them to operate there. So that's what goes for competition between the some of the task force and then that youth. But with the intervention of the police, because we send them to the police station, we're able to come to MPS. Then we move on to the next area. As an association, we are not going to relent on this. We ensure that we have the 
to ensure that this bill is done. The reason that why we are doing this constantly is political and then this come back. When areas that we live and in the stability levels are cool down that the the Ghana Water Company is pumping water for indigenous in those communities. We are going to ensure that we sustain it. From here, we move, uh, uh, how do you call it, uh, towards the, the, the Obosu areas. That one, we are using the boats to also clear all the gradients. We've got boats, we've got life there, and all that. So we are going to ensure that the Brim River, the this operation is going to be over here. We are working on it up to uh, uh, the end of this to ensure that the river is clear. Okay. Uh, uh, under the bridge, we were able to fetch them and we'll be sending it to the land. But we can see clear difference between what we took as a baseline to what we have now. Very well. Thank you. Thank you for speaking to us, Godwin. That's Godinama. He's secretary to uh, the Ghana National Association of Small Scale Miners. Apologies that his line was a bit dodgy. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTF. And let's remain with mining and Nashika has some other stories. Nine illegal miners are currently in police custody at Kibi Divisional Police Command after they invaded the Samangjaso portion of the Tiwa Forest Reserve to engage in Galamse. A 13-member forestry guard during a field monitoring activity chanced on these illegal miners who had pitched camp within the forest reserve. The team noticed that more than 0.5 hectares of the forest reserve had been destroyed by the nine illegal miners who had dug several trenches. The Kibi District Forestry Manager Emmanuel Enchi, who confirmed the arrest to City News, says the suspect will be arraigned today. Yesterday, um, per our field monitoring activities, my guys were able to chance upon some members or some people from the Saman Jasso community who were doing illegal mining in the Saman Jasso portion of the Atiwa Forest Reserve. My 13-member team were able to apprehend nine of these suspects. And these suspects were brought to the Chebi police station. Because it was evident, um, these suspects were left there to, to, be, to be processed today. As I speak with you, we are making provisions to visit the police station and to make sure that all these culprits, all these suspects, are taken to courts for prosecution. Altogether, where they were arrested, they were seen to have destroyed about 0.5 of a hectare. And the devastation is really, really not what we had anticipated. We are, we are taking this opportunity to sound a note of caution to all these forest fringe communities and everybody that the forest reserve is a no-go area. And therefore, we are not expecting to see anybody to carry out these illegal activities in the forest reserve. When they are caught, the law will be made to take its full course. Emmanuel Enchi is the Chebi District Forestry Manager in the Eastern Region. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTF and we are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka in Accra. When we come back, you remember the COVID-19 audit report by the Auditor General well, it was published. That's why you got to know about it. The Attorney General does not agree that such a report should have been published before Parliament finishes its work on the report. We'll tell you more when we come back. Please stay.
Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. You welcome back to Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. There's a letter on the letterhead of the Office of the Attorney General and Ministry of Justice and is signed by the minister himself, the Honorable Godfrey Yebu Adami, who is the Attorney General. And it's addressed to Johnson Ikuamwa Asiedu, who is the Auditor General. The letter says, RE, Audit of Public Accounts of Ghana. Dear sir, I refer to various discussions between your good self and me regarding the effective implementation of reports of the Auditor General on audits into the public accounts of Ghana, particularly with regard to the issuance of disallowance and surcharges. The matters discussed have become more pertinent in view of the intense controversy generated by the publication of the report on the Special Audit of Government of Ghana COVID-19 transactions for the period March 2020 to June 2022 on the website of the Ghana Audit Service which has been quoted here. It continues to say, I find it compelling to lay out a few points which I hope will guide action to be taken. Let me read for you point three, which captures the issue. It says, I observe that the report of the special audit on the government's COVID-19 transactions has been published on the website of the audit service. In light of the constitutional provisions pertaining to the duty of the Auditor General after the preparation of audit reports, I consider a publication of the COVID-19 audit report or indeed any audit report particularly when same has not been either considered by Parliament or referred to a committee of Parliament premature. Number four, he says, I am mindful of the provision in section 23 of Act 584, which seems to mandate a publication of the reports as soon as they have been presented to the Speaker to be laid before Parliament. However, the laws governing the functions of the Auditor General ought to be construed as a whole. The constitutional duty of the Auditor General to submit his reports to Parliament and Parliament's consequential obligation to debate and scrutinize same will be grossly prejudiced by a prior publication of the same of the report. The proceedings of the PAC provide an opportunity for irregularities raised by the Auditor General to be interrogated and queried. Persons and institutions affected by the report receive a further hearing on the findings of the Auditor General's report at the proceedings of the PAC in Parliament. A prior publication of the Auditor General's report completely undermines the purport and meaning of Article 1875 and 6 and should not be encouraged. Consequently, I advise a withdrawal of the report on the government COVID-19 transactions from your website before same has been debated by Parliament and considered by the appropriate committee of Parliament. So that's just except of a letter that has been written to the Auditor General by the Attorney General asking that the uh, audit report, especially the one on COVID-19 transactions, which has been published and widely circulated be withdrawn by the Auditor General until Parliament finishes its work. Now, when the Auditor General writes to Parliament, the Speaker refers it to the Standing Committee known as the Public Accounts Committee, which committee goes into the nitty-gritties of the report. The man who chairs 
the committee uh, incidentally is always coming from the opposition side and by the standing orders of the House of Parliament the opposition member of Parliament usually chairs that committee or actually shares that committee and in this particular instance the chairman is a K2 North MP who is also Deputy Majority Leader okay, immediate past Deputy Majority Leader James Kluche Averji Honorable James Kluche Averji has joined us on the line You're welcome to Eyewitness News sir Good evening, uh, Omaru Sander. Let me correct you. I'm the immediate past deputy minority leader, not majority. Apologies. A lot of uh, things were going through my head. I, uh, forgive me for that, but it's just an elevation, small sure. one. Well, let's, let's keep it like that. Thank you. Apologies for, for the wrong attribution. Now, yes. this re- this letter that the Attorney General has written to the Auditor General, I've just read con- excerpts of it. I'm sure you have seen the full letter. What do you make of it? Yes, I've seen the full letter written by the Attorney General and Minister for Justice to the Auditor General. I think that the main issue why he wrote the letter is the prior publication of the report before Parliament considers the report. Now, let's look at it from this angle. We have the constitutional provision in Article 187. Article 187 actually established the Auditor General and the Office of the Auditor General. Then Article 1872, it says that the Auditor General shall audit the public accounts of Ghana. So all accounts that belong to Ghana, the court, the universities, the assemblies, the central government, ministry, department, agencies, public boards, corporations, all of them must be audited by the Auditor General. Then 1875 says that the Auditor General shall <coughs> not um, less than six months after the end of the year submit his report to Parliament. And in that report, <coughs> he must draw the attention of Parliament to any irregularity that he thinks that Parliament needs to talk about or debate further. So let's look at it from the issue about what the Attorney General is complaining about, that is the, the report of the COVID-19 expenditure. The Auditor General submitted a report to Parliament. So he has fulfilled that provision of the Constitution. It's not violating that provision. He submitted a report to Parliament. If I were late, and referred to the Public Accounts Committee yesterday. Now, it is not left for Parliament to debate that report after the Public Accounts Committee has worked on it. Let's look at the Audit Service Act at 584. Section 23 of Act 584 says that as soon as the Auditor General submits the report to the Speaker, to be laid in Parliament, he must publish the report. So he decided to publish the report at the website of the Ghana Audit Service. He is fulfilling that provision of Section 23 of Act 584. He's not violating that as well. Whilst I agree with the Attorney General that the report must be debated by Parliament, I also agree with the Auditor General that he is just going in compliance with the law. The Constitution says he must submit the report. He did that. The Constitution says that after submitting the report, publish it. He's done that. 
What we should look at is the lacuna. The Section 23 of the Audit Service Act should be amended. That after the Auditor General has submitted a report, he should wait until the Public Accounts Committee debate or Parliament debate the report, then he can publish it. But as it is now, he is right to publish it. The Attorney General is interpreting the law to say that the Auditor General must read the, 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 the provisions in full, meaning that he should not uh, publish the report until after Parliament has debated the report. Don't forget that the same session 187, 1877, gave power to the Auditor General that in the audit of his work, he shall not be subjected to any direction from any authority or any individual. And then 1877B says that in the performances of his function, he may disallow an expenditure incurred by a public institution and surcharge the authorizing officer of that expenditure. All those things are in the position. Now, the issue here is that if an auditor goes to audit and you realize that there's an infraction, an expenditure which he thinks is against the law, does he need to wait until Parliament debate that report before he surcharge? Because the consistency says that in the course of his own, he made this uh, disallowed expenditure and structure. So there's a lacuna all over there which needs to be addressed. That is my, my view and opinion on the letter sent by the Attorney General to the Auditor General. So it means generally you agree with the Attorney General that that process should be followed, except that you do not think the Auditor General has breached any law by doing what the Attorney General is asking him not to do. Exactly. The Auditor General did not breach any provision of the Constitution, did not breach uh, any section of the law. He's just complying with the law and the provision in the Constitution. However, you agree, you agree with the AG? I that's... agree, yes, I agree with the AG that the report, one section, one uh, Article 187 says that the report should be submitted to Parliament. So, so, so let me just let me just read that for purpose of our listeners. One eight seven five of the Constitution says that the Auditor General shall, within six months after the end of the immediate, after the immediately preceding financial year to which each of the accounts mentioned in clause two of this article relates, submit his report to Parliament and shall, in that report, draw attention to any irregularities in the accounts audited and to any other matter which is, in his opinion, ought to be brought to the notice. Of Parliament. Of Parliament, yes. Good. So then, that's, then six, that's what five says. Six, six says, six. Parliament shall debate the report of the Auditor General and appoint, when necessary, in the public interest, a committee to deal with any matters arising from it. Exactly. So the debate of Parliament, that Parliament shall debate the report. When the report comes in voluminous form, we cannot lay that report and debate it. So it is referred to the Public Accounts Committee who work and call the individuals involved and interrogate them, and then come out with a report, a final report. Because some of the issues that the Auditor General uh, was drawing the attention of Parliament to it might have been resolved. The outstanding ones will then be recommended by the 
committee, the public accounts committee, for parliament to debate. After that debate, parliament needs to also appoint a committee if it is necessary to do a follow-up. That so that is another issue altogether there. So the auditor general has submitted a report. All right. The same time, the section 33 of the Act 584 says that he must publish it, and he's gone away to publish it. So I, until that amendment is done, the attorney general shall not or should not ask the uh, auditor general to withdraw that publication from the website. So for you, uh, that publication should not be withdrawn. But do you agree no. that it is unfair, it is prejudicial, and even flies in the face of the Constitution, the fact that it is published and discussed in the plenary, public plenary, before your, your house finishes its work? I agree that the report should be debated by Parliament before any action is taken. On that note, I call for the amendment of the Audit Service Act so that that publication referred to in Section 23 should be removed. But what about the part where an argument would be made that um, if that is not done, uh, the public will not know the full detail of what is in the Auditor General's report? Because, mind you, as Public Accounts Committee, it's not everything in that report that you, you discuss, is it? It's just portions so, so, that you choose. But so, the media, when it is published, will decide which areas would be newsworthy for the people. And if subsequently these people are found to be exonerated, the same media gives a live coverage of your proceedings and will give the public the same view. It is not true that we, we select sections of the report. In fact, we deal with the entire report. Anything that is published um, as an infraction as a committee, we deal with all of them. But the removal of the publication, what which I'm advocating for, is that that publication should be, should be done after the Public Accounts Committee has considered the report, or even during the time that the Public Accounts Committee is considering the report. They can publish it so the public can have access to it and follow the debate or the discussion of the Public Accounts Committee. But as you said, or the auditor, uh, attorney general said, where we pub they publish it and it takes a year or two before the public accounts committee sits on the report. That is where the problem is. But again, we are as a committee, federal committee in the parliament, we are working selfishly to remove that uh, barrier or arrears. As you are aware, we are currently considering the 2020 report. By the close of this year, God willing, we will be done with 2021 report. So early next year, we'll be doing 2022 report. So you see that there will not be any arrears again in terms of the report of the Auditor General. So that is one way also to resolve the matter. Okay, what about the aspect of disallowance and surcharge? The Attorney General also took issue with that. I don't know if you want to comment on that as well before you leave. You take leave of us. Yes, as I said, as I said, it's also constitutional provision. The Auditor General may disallow an expenditure and instead charge an officer who authorized that expenditure. That is what the constitution says. The constitution did not say that that disallowance or the surcharge should be done after the parliament debated a report. You see, so there is a gap there. The same constitution says that when you finish your work, 
submit the report to Parliament for Parliament to debate. The same constitution says that as you are doing your work and you have realized that there is an expenditure which is against law, the law, disallow it and set charge the officer involved. So why should we say that when the auditor disallows an expenditure, it is against the constitution? No. Or it's against that the parliament did not look at the report. This is the problem we have. How do we resolve it? The auditor general is just trying to implement what the constitution asks him to do. Very well. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, so I'm sure this is just the beginning of the debate, but thank you for speaking to us. We'll be, we'll be discussing this further, and if at any point uh, you want to give an input, we'll be grateful if you could share something with us. However, how, how is your committee work coming, though? Are you done, or you still have a few more people to hold before your committee? No, we, we are done with the MPA report, that is Ministry, Department, and Agencies report, and then uh, Public Board Corporation and other specific institutions. We are now doing the report. We are drafting the report. Um, by the middle of April, the committee will be going around the country to look at the four other reports for 2020, which is the, the report for the senior high secondary schools, the report for the district assembly common fund, the report for the district assembly IGF, and then the report for the technical university. So by the end of uh, first half of this year, we'll be done with the 2020 report, and the, from the beginning of July, we'll start with the 2021 report. So that's our program for the year. Very well. Thank you so much uh, for speaking You're to welcome. us. You're welcome. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. That's James Kluchaveji. He is Member of Parliament, K2 North, and also Chairman of the Public Accounts Committee. Of Parliament. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTF. And if you go to our website, the full detail of the letter that the Auditor Attorney General has written to the Auditor General, specifically on the COVID-19 expenditure, is there for your perusal. We'll be back with more. Please stay. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. You're welcome back to Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTF, and we are broadcasting from Adabraka in Accra. Let's talk about the government's debt exchange program now. The pensioners are still unhappy. Nashika. Right, Sandra, for the third consecutive time, the pensioner bondholders have picketed at the finance ministry, demanding for the government to exempt the investment from the domestic debt exchange program. The government has proposed a 15% coupon rate, but a group of about 30 retirees converged at the ministry and sang patriotic Ghanaian songs. They told City News they will not accept any cut to return on their investments as their livelihoods are dependent on the program from these investments. Here are some of them speaking to City News. If I can't buy my medication, I will die. So this, I'm not worried for my health. If I don't come and I can't buy my medication, I will die. So you'd rather come and jeopardize your health? It's not jeopardize. If I can't buy the medication, that is more jeopardy than sitting under a tree. We don't have the strength. But the latest strength that we have we will use it. We are only praying to God that He should allow us, give us strength every day to come here to sit for 
that one hour. That's why we brought our seats. If you can't stand, you sit down. There are many people who want to come with their wheelchairs, but we say, no, it's so risky, don't come. Let a few people who can come do that. So we are praying that every day we will get at least, like, even if it's 10, we will come. And I believe out of the over 450 that we have on the platform that knows what we are doing, we will always get some number who will be capable to stand here or sit here for one hour and go. So that have you had nobody any is communication not from the ministry since yesterday or from any um, government quarters? No, no, we haven't had any communication from the ministry. The only thing we and everybody has said is that they have extended the period. And I think the good news also that we heard from Parliament yesterday was that Parliament has uh, summoned the minister to appear and lay all these things before the Parliament. You had some pensioner bondholders who picketed on the finance ministry to demand exemption of their investment from the domestic debt exchange program. Desire News on 97.3 CTFM. The NDC youth organizer for Swami is in hot waters. The police have him in their grips as of tonight. Hafiz Tijan is our correspondent in the Ashanti region. He's following that story. Hafiz, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. So the information we had earlier was that the NDC party in the region was going to have discussions with the police. What went wrong or what went right? So the discussion started yesterday after the police issued a statement and launched a manhunt for Mr. Razak Kwampa, who is the Swami youth organizer for the NDC, for some statements he made in a viral video uh, that the police said he was inciting political violence. So the party leadership in the region met the police and had some deliberations. So the outcome was that the leadership of the party was going to collaborate with the police to enforce the law and also assist in their investigations. And part of the agreement also mentioned that the party was going to bring Mr. Kwampa to the police since the uh, police was looking for him. So yesterday also we're told that some police officers were sent by the regional command to effect the arrest of Mr. Kwampa, but he was not found when the police officers got there. So the leadership of the party said that they were going to take him to the police so that the police can begin their investigations. And they had said they would cooperate with the police to enforce the law. So this morning, the executives led by the national organizer for the NDC, Joseph Yamin, and uh, a host of regional executives went to uh, the uh, residence of Mr. Kwampa to bring him to the police. Initially, the party supporters who had gathered at the regional command as at 7 a.m. today thought that he was going to be brought to the central police command, but uh, later they were told that he would be sent to the Sintrestu police command because that police station falls under Swami. So the police said that the Sintresu Police Command had the jurisdiction to hear this case. So the party supporters also marched to the place. His statement was taken in the midst of his lawyer, the national organizer of the party, the deputy uh, general secretary of the NDC, some 
regional executives of the NDC. His statement was taken and the police detained him. Thank you so much for speaking to us, Hafiz Tijani. Let's hear from Joseph Yamin. He's a national organizer of the NDC. He's been speaking on this issue and he says that the party will not be intimidated by the arrest of the youth organizer. Listen. It is not always that the police should be arresting. The police is also there to educate and also to uh, advise. But here they took a stand, and I don't know why they want to do selective justice here. We will cooperate, but we want to assure them that we are not going to be intimidated. Yes. What is our right will be our right, so yes. we are going to do it. So wait for tomorrow. I'm very sure that we will go to court, and the court will grant him bail. All be our speakers we are speaking, they pick it from our side. What we are saying is what they should be saying. After tomorrow, the next line of action will be taken. That's Joseph Yamin, his national organizer of the NDC. The MPP also called a press conference today to speak about the issue. Tell us, Monashka. The governing New Patriotic Party wants the police to, as a matter of urgency, prosecute the NDC youth organizer for his utterances. The party says this will serve as a deterrent to others ahead of the 2024 election. Here is the party's director of communications, Richard Ahiagba, addressing a press conference today. We believe this about the NDC, that the statement that a youth organizer made is not in isolation. Or did he misspoke? He is clear-eyed about what he was saying. His remarks reflect the culture and ethos of the NDC. We expect the police and the courts to bring the, the Swami Youth Organizer to justice very quickly to deter others who might be harboring similar violent and delinquent thoughts in the NDC. We demand the NDC to un- unreservedly disavow, disassociate, and expel this young man from their party without delay. That's the only point you can begin to take the NDC seriously about these comments that the young man has made as though that they are not shielding him and they really want to discourage such commentary in our politics. Nothing short of this will suffice. Richard Ahiagba is the Director of Communications for the New Patriotic Party. Now, staff of the Northern Electricity Distribution Company, NETCO, have partially withdrawn their services at all its operational areas effective today. The industrial action is due to failure of the Board of Directors to meet the demands of the staff calling for the removal of the Managing Director, Osman Aludiba Ayuba, after several engagements. All field services have been suspended, except emergency situations and power vending. Speaking to City News on the withdrawal, the chairman of the Senior Staff Association of NETCO, William Kwamiasari, said they will not rescind their decision until the managing director is removed. We have explained the reasons why we think there's a need for change in leadership. The board appears to agree with us. In fact, they say they are also concerned about the financial health of NETCO. The last time we met them, they informed us that they are not the appointing authority, so they inform the appointing authority. But the more we delay this process, the more NETCO is bleeding, so to speak. So we think that as staff, we need to take action for the appointing authority to do what is right for NETCO. Then Mr. Yuba was brought in in 2019, ostensibly to help turn around our finances. At the time, the board informed us that the problem in NETCO is financial, it's not engineering. So they are bringing somebody with some financial background to help turn around our finances. If you take our financial performance within 2019 up to date, it has deteriorated. If you take our finances, as of September, 
Look, it's terribly bad. To the extent that we are unable to pay our third party. In Borga, for example, our contractors went on strike because work that they have done on behalf of NECO from January up to December, we are not able to pay. That is how bad our performance has been. Look, in terms of our revenue mobilization, everybody knows that prepaid meters aid in revenue mobilization. The whole of last year, check from Techiman, Sunyane, Borgawa, not a single prepaid meter was deployed. Rather, the meters that we had removed when we brought the smart meters were the meters we were washing and cleaning to send back to our customers. That is the state of Netco. That was the chairman of the Senior Staff Association of Netco, William Kwame Asari. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFN. Let's speak to the man that they are accusing, their managing director, Osman Adubiba. Aludiba Ayuba, he's a Netco uh, managing director. Sir, so you welcome to Eyewitness News. Your workers are not happy with you. They are on strike because of you. And even though they've not used the word incompetence, that's what they are pointing at. Uh, thank you very much, Omar Sanda. Good evening and good evening to your listeners. Uh, I'm really constrained to really comment on the issues that the staff leadership are raising. Very much so precisely because it's an internal issue that they have raised with the board, and the board are working towards resolving the matters. It's been escalated to the Honorable Minister of Energy, who is asking for a meeting tomorrow to discuss these matters. So management has actually even issued a press release to say that once these are internal matters, and we are on the verge of uh, resolving these matters. There is no point coming to the public to be making these uh, institutions and acquisitions and all of that. They have actually indeed raised a number of issues, and I have appropriately and fully responded to these issues. So once the board is taking it up, I would want to limit it to that level, let the Honorable Minister, look into the merits and the merits of the accusations one after the other and then make a decision thereafter. If after that there is a need to now come to the public to see what else needs to be there, to be said, I would be very, very willingly and happily come and do that uh, as, a, as a syndicator. But at this point, I think that uh, we would let the meeting that is happening tomorrow happen. Then we'll see what uh, follows next. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you. So there's public opinion. There's also the courts. The legal side of things is what will be dealt with. But in the public domain, your workers are calling you out for failure to show leadership. They say that you haven't served prepaid meters to your customers the whole of last year. That is not right. They say your financial... Your financials don't look good at all. This is blamable, and they've put it to your doorstep. They say you have not been able to pay your contractors. These are challenges that you should be able to, before you go to speak privately to your your appointees or appointors, you should also be able to speak to Ghanaians who pay your salary. Why did this not happen? Because that's what your workers are saying did not happen. Yeah, I can see you are still pushing me to want to respond to the issues. But as I've said, I have fully responded to those issues to the board, and it will be dealt with tomorrow, and after that, we can discuss it. But coming to talk about meters availability, they accuse accusers. Those who are put in that, they know exactly what the situation is. So tell us what the situation is. For those who don't know, can you tell us what the situation is? 
Uh, Omar, you are still putting me. I know you are a trained journalist, but uh, never mind. You will still get the full details after tomorrow. Mr. Mr. Managing Director, Mr. Managing Director, you see, <laughs> you are going to speak to the board. They are in charge of whether you should be at post or not. Okay, let but, me... But Ghanaians, including people in the northern zone of the country whom you service, are listening to you. And like I said, it is these people who pay your salary and take care of everything that because you're a public officer and you owe the public a duty to explain to them what the situation is, especially when the complaints are coming from your own workers. If the crocodiles come out and say that the turtle is dead under the water, clearly something is wrong. The crocodile might be... <laughs> okay. Anyway, I think that we operate in five operational areas. You know, northern area, upper east, upper west, uh, and then the Tsima area and Sunyan area. In fact, the losses in our special area are mainly driven by the losses in the northern area. And so management took a decision to purchase these prepayment meters to come and deploy in the northern area precisely because where you are bleeding the most, that is where you tackle the issues. And that was the decision that we took. And so to procure the meters and come and deploy them in the northern area to deal with the northern area losses was not a bad decision. And so I, don't, I do not really know why... Uh, they are saying that other areas have not had meters and blah, 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 blah. But as I said, uh, we are in charge, we are in control. We know we have taken the best decision to the best of our ability, supported by the board, and nothing on towards is happening. The rest, we talk about the financial performance. Yes, we would want to make profits, but uh, in the operational areas that we, we, we find ourselves, we have serious challenges that do not allow us to really make the profit that we are supposed to do. But nonetheless, we are still uh, doing our best. And as I said, if you would bear with me, just after tomorrow, you would get the full details of uh, what we have in our response. We'll wait for tomorrow. Thank you for speaking to us, sir. Thank you very much, Umar Sander. That's Osman Aludiba Ayuba. He's a managing director of the Northern Electricity Distribution Company, NETCO. This is Eyewitness News on 97.37. Nashika, what else do you have for us? The Ga Traditional Council has announced the death of the Queen Mother of the Ga State, Her Royal Majesty Nade De Omaidru III. The 88-year-old Queen Mother was known in private life as Nade De Ablan and installed the Ga in 1963 at the age of 29. She passed away at her Dansoman residence on December 26, 2022. Here is the Chief of Protocol and Communications at the Ga Manche Palace, Park making the announcement. Ghanaians here and in the diaspora mourn profoundly the loss of our cherished Queen Mother, her stately and sterling leadership qualities, kind as well as affable nature as mother of the Gaspid will be sorely missed throughout the country and by Ghanaians domiciled across Africa, Europe and the USA. Her Royal Majesty Nadebe Omedu will be laid to rest on 29th of April 2023. A book of condolences will be opened from 13th of February 2023 at the Ga Traditional Council premises here in Kadeshi. Parker Aluti is the Chief of Protocol and Communications at the Ga Manche Palace. 
Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. Get into the details. Every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. Y'all come to the business segment on Eyewitness News. My name is Nashika Caesar. Let's settle for the details. Economy and currency analyst at GCB Capital Limited, Courage Boti, has stated that the performance of the local currency for the year 2023 will be filled with ups and downs. This comment comes on the back of the recent reiteration by Fitch Solution, which projects a strong performance of the city in 2023. Courage Booty explains that the inconclusiveness surrounding the domestic debt exchange program and the delay in the board approval of the IMF bailout continues to slump the performance of the local currency. In my view, really, there is a missed outlook for the city in 2023. On one hand, given the fundamentals as they are now, reserves almost depleted and the negative sentiments around the whole chaotic debt exchange and the generally very bearish sentiment uh, of the Ghanaian market on the Ghanaian market really uh, there is scope for further depreciation and it could be uh, very dire if we cannot secure an IMF program as soon as possible and that is a real concern but on the flip side of things um, the balance of payment support from the IMF and deficit financing of about 61 billion even if we adjust that for interest savings on the debt exchange program and even attempt something in the region of $40 billion, that adds some um, $2.5 billion because it will not come from domestic financing. It's coming from external financing, mostly from our development partners and all of that. We've already suspended interest payments on external debt, and external debt restructuring is just about happening. And so there could also be savings on that, which will give us some breathing room, really. So if all of that happening in good time and we get the financing we need for the budget from the sources envisaged, that is very significant addition to the reserves for the year 2023. That was economist and currency analyst with GCB Capital, Courage Boti. Moving on, stakeholders in the pork production industry are calling for an adoption of the protein as a major meat source to ensure food security in Ghana. The producers say pork should be a preferred option because of its viability and shorter gestation period. According to the United States Department of Agriculture, Ghana imported 16 million U.S. dollars of pork and pork products in 2021. Speaking to City Business News, a member of the Pig Farmers Association Association Maxwell Quay Hammond stated that with the right support, local producers can take advantage of the market. Local production of uh, and consumption of, of pork, uh, which is the meat of a pig, is quite low compared to other parts of the compared to other parts of the world. I mean, pork is the most widely con- is the number one consumed meat in the world. Um, China, North America. Latin America, everywhere in the world, pork ranks number one. Here, I mean, we've not really um, have high production, but it can substitute um, poultry, it can substitute um, beef, because it has a shorter gestation period. We also, it's highly prolific, 
one pig um, sow, which is the female pig, can give you a liter size of more than 10 at a time. And then a pig can, uh, you can give birth twice in a year. So for one female pig, you can have about 20 pigs within a year if you manage your cycle well. So it can it simply becomes the most consumed meat or protein option in Ghana. Um, with our almost 80% meat production deficit, this can be the way to go. That was a member of the Pig Farmers Association, Maxwell Quay Hammond. Now, the Ghana Union of Traders Association, Guta, has welcomed President Ikufuado's nomination of the Member of Parliament for Adansi Asokwa, Kobinata Hugh Hammond, as the Trades and Industry Minister-designate. This comes a month after former Trade Minister Alan Chermati resigned to pursue his presidential ambition. Speaking to City Business News on the development, the President of Guta, Dr. Joseph Forbin says they are ready to work with Mr. Katie Hammond if he is made the substantive minister of the ministry to ensure the growth of the sector. And we do not know the criteria the president used to bring this minister. But what we know is that whoever comes on board we will engage the person positively. We will only have to respect the nomination of the president and that whoever comes will work with the person. So far as they are going to open their doors to us, now we do a lot more of positive engagement and that's what we are expecting from the incoming to do exactly that so that we, we do not have any honestly understanding among ourselves. We want the minister to fast track on the issue of the foreigners in the retail trade. That has been our major issue. And then now, lately, the ban of used electrical appliances and electronics. These are topmost of our agenda, and we believe that we will face it head on. Dr. Joseph Abin is the president of the Ghana Union of Traders Association, Guta. Now, the Association of Oil Marketing Companies is calling on government to introduce a fair and balanced mechanism to distribute the fuel brought under the gold for oil policy to avoid any form of discrimination and ensure fairness to all licensed parties. They note that the indicated mechanism allows for arbitrary selection of BDEX and, by extension, OMCs to benefit from the program. They also note that the fact that this mechanism is intended to force players to reduce prices at the pumps creates some form of arbitrariness which will eventually distort the market and create an uneven playing field. This comes on the back of the government's revelation that only a few OMCs reduce the prices of fuel at the when the first consignment was delivered. A statement issued by the association notes that a discussion of the implementation of this innovation and any others in the industry with all stakeholders is the way to go to achieve overall goals of the program. And that's all for City Business News on Eyewitness News, which was powered by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Nashika Caesar. Up next is Point Blank. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens.
This is Point Blank on Eyewitness News. I am Omaru Sandamado. Now, this week, or last week actually, about seven people died in Boko due to a shootout. The armed forces have been blamed. The members of the armed forces have been blamed for that. But the armed forces are also stationed there to provide security. Today, on the floor of parliament, the member of parliament for Boko Central, the Honorable Mahama Yariga, raised the issue, made a statement, and after the statement, there was um, there were other comments made by MPs, including the defense minister, who is MP for Bimbila, the Honorable Dominic, um, Dominic Nitewo, the MP for Bulusa South, James Agaga, and also the MP for uh, a Futu and Deputy Majority Leader, Alexander Penyomaki. So I want to just take you to the chamber to listen to what transpired in relation to Baku. Listen. Watch soldiers gruesomely kill his father in a garden at Baratinga, a suburb of Misga electoral area in Boku municipality. Twelve-year-old Jafaru took to his heels and headed in the direction of their family home. The speaker personally saw bullet holes on the wall of their house caused by gunshots by soldiers who shot at this 12-year-old boy and missed him as he sought to escape their brutality. Upon reaching in front of his family house, Jafaru jumped into a mad van used to store dry hay in front of the compound. Eyewitnesses say that from afar they saw the men in military uniform who chased 12-year-old Jafaru shoot into the barn and subsequently they saw the hay in the barn burning 12-year-old Jafaru. He was most likely hit by these bullets shot into the barn in which he sought to hide. But the fire started burning his body in the barn. Jafaru's mother ran out of the house and realizing that her 12-year-old son was in the burning mud barn, hurriedly went for a bucket of water to pour into the barn. Eyewitnesses say they saw the men in military uniform prevent her. She persisted in wanting to pour water into the burning barn and ultimately they shot her hand to completely disable her from trying to rescue her 12-year-old son. Her husband is dead. Her 12-year-old son is dead and burning in a barn, and she has sustained gunshot wounds and bleeding profusely. Jafaru's late father and her husband, Adam Usmaila, age 32, and whose house address is number ME43 Baratinga Miska, was married to two wives and survived by seven children. He was executed by the soldiers who dragged him out of a nearby house that he had run to hide. Eyewitnesses saw the soldiers shoot him at close range in the valley where he was stretching water with a donkey cart. The valley is near Sunguri Primary School and houses a number of dry season gardens. Right, Honorable Speaker, six other persons were similarly shot and killed in the valley in military-style execution within the view of eyewitnesses. Four of them were apprehended in the valley, and after their hands were tied to their backs, the men in Ghana Armed Forces uniform took turns shooting them one after the other as they cried aloud and asked for mercy. I saw with my very eyes the blood of these helpless victims 
of the men who are supposed who are supposed to protect them. The valley has many mango trees. Some of the gardeners took refuge in the trees. So what the soldiers did was within their full view and hearing, and they have come forward to give eyewitness accounts. These six executed citizens include the following, Mr. Speaker. One, Akudugu Pugnaba Karim, a 31-year-old nurse who was running away when he heard gunshots from the armed vehicles and soldiers on foot approaching their community. His home address is M146 Sunguri, Misiga. He was married and survived by three children. His mother and father are still alive. Eyewitnesses confirmed seeing him being chased by a group of military men, some on foot and others using the armored vehicle. This incident occurred at the same valley of death near Sunguri Primary School, where some members of the community had also sought refuge. The second person was Abunbiana Madi, a 33-year-old man who was survived by three wives and six children. He lived at M146 Sunguri at the Misiga Electoral Area. His father and mother are still alive. He was a motorcycle mechanic, temporarily living and working in Kumasi, but had just come home to visit his family. He died of gunshot wounds. The third person was Carson Isa, also age 33, and a resident of house number ME46, Zorgin in Misiga. He was married with one child. His parents are also still alive. He died of military gunshot wounds. The fourth person was Ndegu Mumuni, age 39, and a resident of house number ME23, Baratinga Misga. He was married with one wife and had five children. He died of gunshot wounds inflicted by the soldiers. The fifth was Haruna Kudus, age 17, a resident of house number ME36, absorbed in Misga. He also died of gunshot wounds inflicted by the military in the same valley. The sixth person was Ayuma Ilyasu, age 37, and a resident of Sarabogo, Pusiga. He happened to be in the vicinity. He is married with two wives and survived by seven children. He died of gunshot wounds inflicted by the military. The incident occurred in the same valley near Sunguri Primary School. Right, Honorable Speaker, these victims of military execution were either at their garden in the valley or had run into the valley from their homes upon hearing the approaching military gunfire while at home. I have personally gone into the valley and walked around the community to observe and understand army troop movement that morning of 1st February 2023. I have met and listened to eyewitnesses who gave account of what they saw and heard. Mr. Speaker, I believe them. The Assembly member of the Misika Electoral Area, Mr. Musa Bukhari, braved it at the risk of being killed and approached the soldiers and pleaded with them to stop what they were doing. The soldiers physically assaulted him until he was bleeding profusely. But he stood his grounds and insisted that the soldiers must stop what they were doing. The soldiers got angry that his effort had distracted them and diverted their attention and gave an opportunity for those hiding in the trees to escape their killings. Please join me to applaud and recognize the bravery and heroism of the Assembly member, whose actions saved several lives that morning. He is slowly recovering from his wounds, 
May God bless this brave and courageous leader. Right Honorable Speaker, the Ghana Armed Forces did not deny the various killings. In a widely publicized statement, they mentioned that they neutralized armed men in Kusensi Valley that day. Mysteriously, they did not retrieve a single weapon from any of the alleged combatants. Their explanations are clearly untenable. Right, Honorable Speaker, the military in Boko have been inflicting brutality on both sides in the conflict. On 26 January, they shot and killed Imuru Salifu in front of his house in Patalme in Boku Township. He was aged 59 years. He was a resident of house number J25, Patalme, Boku. He is survived by two wives and six children. Dauda Salifu, also aged 60 years, was shot and killed in front of his house at number J24, Patalme, Boku. He survives with condemned brutality in Boko. We need to be talking about finding solutions, how to fashion out solutions to the resolution of that conflict. So far, it appears our approach has been kinetic. The use of force, the deployment of boots on the ground to enforce law and order. But the matter goes beyond the mere enforcement of law and order. Once upon a time, we had the Boko Inter-Ethnic Peace Committee in place, which was an avenue for the fostering of dialogue and the promotion of peace between the ethnic groups in the area. Unfortunately, Mr. Speaker, that committee has collapsed. And so, as I speak, we don't have any avenue for mediation in Boko because that particular committee was a veritable tool for reconciliation among the warring factions. And so, Mr. Speaker, I will write from the outset, call on government to actively intervene, create an avenue so that the various ethnic groups in Boko, the Kusasi, the Mumprusi, and the smaller ethnic groups in the area can converge, whether in Boko or outside Boko, to discuss peace and to resolve their differences through peaceful means, other than the resort to the use of arms in an attempt to resolve the conflict in Boko. There can never be a winner or a loser in such armed conflicts. Mr. Speaker, having said that, it is important for us to, at this stage, underscore the point that the armed forces are raised and maintained by the resources of the Ghanaian taxpayer and therefore are accountable to the people of this country through parliament. Parliament, without doubt, has oversight over our armed forces. And so where there are allegations of brutality against citizens of this country at the hands of our armed forces, Mr. Speaker, the proper approach is for this August House to assert its authority by ensuring that all the allegations made against our armed forces are thoroughly investigated. Mr. Speaker, 
when some students in Kumasi suffered at the hands of the police and a statement, a similar statement was made on the floor by the Honorable Member and Minority Chief Whip at the time, the Honorable Mutaka Mubarak, this House acted with dispatch by getting the Committee for Defense and Interior to intervene. The committee traveled to Kubasi and brought back a voluminous report. Mr. Speaker, this time around, given the nature of the allegations labeled against our armed forces, I believe that a committee, an ad hoc committee, with the core membership of the Defense and Interior Committee playing a lead role, would suffice. And such a committee, if Mr. Speaker would agree to set up, should be supported by experts, because the issues are very complex in nature and may be beyond the capacity of such a committee. Mr. Speaker, I speak with a lot of experience because I've lived virtually my entire life in an area where there has always been conflict. Mr. Speaker, I was five years when the first conflict started in my area. By the time I got to, Mr. Speaker, 15 years, there was another conflict, 19 years, there was another conflict, and a third conflict when I was 20 years. I've seen how soldiers operate, I've seen how police operate, I've seen how combatants operate. So, sincerely, I speak with that experience. And so I'm very impartial when it comes to issues of Kwaku and the surroundings. And I'm happy, Mr. Speaker, that two members from the opposing side, one believes that the chief sentence matter has been settled, Honorable Ayaga, and the Honorable Member for Nalegu believes that the chief sentence matter has never been settled. That's what he said. He said no court has ruled in Ghana. And you believe that the court has ruled, it has been settled. That is the source of the conflict. Just if members of parliament, who represent people are here and they have divergent views, which their views can kill people. That is the source of the conflict. But what do we do? Soldiers have now been put in the middle of this conflict. Remember the soldiers are human beings like us. And they have not been put in the middle of this conflict. But Mr. Speaker, they have been political will from the Nana Adodankwa Akufado government. So let not be said that it's not been political will. The then Chief Tenzing Minister, the Honorable Member for Hunter West, went to Baku and made the people of Baku aware that. As long as the Boku Nabai is attending the regional house of chiefs and the national house of chiefs, we in government recognize him as the legitimate Boku Nabai. Mr. Speaker, that is the first time that a government in our history has done that. No other government in our history has ever done that. So let it be known by those who think that there is no political will, that there has been political will from this side of the house. Because no government in our history. Two, Mr. Speaker, I went to Baku with the Honorable Minister of Interior 
In fact, when I was going to Boku, I called the Honorable Member of Parliament for Boku and told him that we are going to your constituency. I will be happy for you to accompany us. He told me he was in Nigeria, so he was not. He was wishing as well. Even though when he came, he didn't get back to me to, to hear what happened. Mr. Speaker, and I told them, Mr. Speaker, the honorable member is now the chief whip of this side, front bench. So rising like this, you should tone down. I've sat at that side before. Mr. Speaker, I went there and both of us made the people of Boku, both at the Boku Nagwa Palace and at the Mankubu site, we told them point blank that there is a Boku Naba in place and anybody who feels that it is not to go to court. And the Mankubu said, who will go to court? And for that matter, we pledged amongst ourselves, them and us, that everybody will lay down their arms. They will not go to any fight. And for two months, not a single gunshot was heard in Boko. So I want to believe, and we have taken the position, Mr. Speaker, that what is happening in Boko today is not about chieftaincy. It's criminality. It's criminals who are operating. And the members of the armed forces to deal with them as pure criminals. I want the members of parliament to let their people know that we are dealing with them as pure criminals. There's nothing called Boko chieftaincy. There is a legitimate chief of Boko. The man princes have said he will go to court. The Nigeria has said he will go to court and challenge the matter. That's all. Both in the township and the outskirts of Boko, we now have evidence that the operational style of the military has evolved to include shooting and killing of citizens that they have been tasked to protect. I wish to condemn all such reckless killing. I equally condemn any act of killing by all factions themselves in the, in the conflict in Boko. Mr. Speaker, the maker of the statement is condemning the killing by the factions themselves. These must be emphasized. That the factions themselves are killing each other. And that is not right. He again goes ahead to say, no one has legal authority to deprive any innocent citizen of his life. So, Mr. Speaker, again, the maker of the statement is telling us of the behavior of individuals that affect law and order. And he again says that it is unacceptable that the youth have drawn lines that cannot be crossed by the other. Faction. So, Speaker, this is a very serious matter. On this matter, the maker of the statement is not talking about the lack of political will, but he's talking about the situation, how the factions themselves, how the youths are making life difficult. And this is coming from a member of parliament from the peace. So that's the Honorable Afenyo Makin, Deputy Majority Leader. Earlier you heard the Honorable Defense Minister Dominic Nitiwe. Before then you heard James Agaga, former Deputy Interior Minister. And before then you heard the MP for Boko Central, Mahama Ayariga. We were discussing the issues in Boko. That will be it for Eyewitness News tonight. My name is Umaru Sanda Amadou. Production by Bevlin London. Technical support. 
from Daniel Squashy, new media support from Edwin Kwakovi. Up next, in my United, that's Manchester United, is hosting Leeds United at Old Trafford in the English Premier League. The City Sports team will be here to bring you more on that. Stay tuned. City News. We speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302-224959. And get interactive on Facebook, City 97.3 FM, and on Twitter at City 973.